Please take your Bible and turn with me to the New Testament epistle of James. If you need a Bible, we've provided some for you uh, that are found in the seats uh, in front of you. More than happy and welcome to help yourself, and, and even if you want to take that home, that's, that's uh, absolutely available to you if you are in need of a Bible. Today is, is very unique. Unique in the sense that we will participate together in something we have never done before, at least not collectively in this way, not that I'm aware of. Unique for our church and for our life together as a church, this morning we will pray for Dennis Harris and his wife Cheryl and anoint Dennis with oil in accordance with the scriptures. We do this, we do this not for show, not for show, not for show. We do this in simple obedience to God's word for God's honor as we come together to ask God for healing for our brother. As many of you are well aware, Dennis was recently diagnosed with stage 4 esophageal cancer. And, is, and in response to James chapter 5, verse 14, which we will read in just a bit, he has called for our church elders to pray over him and anoint him with oil. We usually do this privately, usually just between the elders and and the sick, and maybe a close family member or loved one or two. But Dennis has requested this to be done publicly this morning because he not only wants to obey the Lord in this, he not only wants to obey the Lord in this, but he also, church, he wants to encourage you in the Lord, which I'm going to explain further in a bit. Now this passage in James is typically referenced when we think about healing for good reason. I have preached this passage before and it is about healing. But my understanding of it, of this passage I think was wonderfully enhanced and even slightly changed this week for the better. It's changed my, my time in this passage this week has, has just slightly but wonderfully changed my theology of healing and even my theology of prayer. There is no doubt that healing is part of this passage, but please hear this. Please hear this. Each verse in this passage, literally each 
verse in this passage is about prayer. And about the God who answers prayer. It's about communing with God. It's about communing with God in prayer and coming together to pray for one another, even as we will do today. And so with that, I want, to, I want us to read it. Follow along with me. James chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 13 through verse 18. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Well, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Father, we want to thank you for this time in your word, and we need you to teach it to us, even now in these moments. Please grant us ears to hear your voice and eyes to see your truth and to behold your glory. For our great, great good through Christ our Lord. Amen. So I worked hard to try to come up with a sentence that I think encapsulates this passage. And, and here it is. My guiding thought from this passage. Prayer. Prayer is a means of grace by which God draws near to us. And we draw near to one another for the sharing of life together in Christ Jesus. Prayer is a means of grace by which God draws near to us and we draw near to one another for the sharing of life together in Christ Jesus. Here we find three personal implications for us and for our prayers. We are exhorted here to pray always to pray together and to pray fervently. First, to pray always. Is anyone among you suffering? 
Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. So whether you are suffering today or celebrating, we are to seek God. Whether, whether you are in trial today or whether you are experiencing great triumph in your life, in whatever way, go to God. The point is that, that, that you need to let, let your every condition, your every condition, let your every condition lead you to God. There are moments, sometimes seasons, prolonged seasons, when you will suffer. It's not if, it's when. There, those, these are occasions, God says, these are occasions for prayer because suffering reveals our human limitations and our need for the divine. Suffering is a tool in God's loving hand to wean us from vain self-sufficiency. Suffering doesn't not, suffering exposes us and the inner cry of our hearts for something more. In suffering, we long for something more, something beyond us, something far greater than us, God. And so to Him, we direct our prayers. We pray for relief, for rescue, for peace, for perseverance, for comfort, for deliverance, for protection, and for the ability to endure well. We ask God for help. And, and for grace to get us through. And so people, hear this, do not waste your suffering. It is, it is meant to lead you. It is meant to lead you to fountains of grace and to the God of all grace. And by God's grace... Suffering does not last forever. We don't suffer all the time. And praise God for that. And be of good cheer. His tender mercies are new every morning. His steadfast love uh, never comes to an end. His faithfulness never fails. Upon us, He pours blessing upon blessing, eternal blessings, as well as the many common graces we experience each and every day. And so is anyone suffering? Pray. And is anyone cheerful? Sing praise. You notice that. Sing it out. Sing it out. The singing of our praise adds to our expression of praise, does it not? Because music and song are gifts from God that wonderfully stir our entire being in ways that mere speech cannot. Rather than boasting in ourselves, we're, we boast in God. You see, praise, one of the wonders of praise is that it protects us from pride. so that we boast not in ourselves, but we boast in Him, in who God is, in what God has done, in what God is doing. 
And so we're told here to sing it out, to give God a concert of praise, to serenade God with with love and worship from the heart. Whether you're hurting or you're happy or something in between, you see, there's no moment, there's no season, there's no circumstance or situation in your life where God is not inviting you to himself. And so let your every condition lead you to him in prayer. Pray always. Second, pray together. More specifically, invite others to pray for you. That's what it's saying. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. James addresses the sick and their need for healing And this word sick is mentioned twice here, once in verse 14 and again in verse 15. Two separate words. And so in verse 14, it's it's the word astheneo, which means to just be ill or to be weak. So in the Gospels, when we look at this word, where this word is used there, we find that it it usually describes physical illness. But elsewhere, like in the book of Acts or in Romans or in 1st and 2nd Corinthians, we find that it simply refers to weakness and and more specifically to, to a weak faith or to weakened faith. Which leads to the word sick in verse 15. That's the Greek word kamno. And so what's interesting about this word is the only other point, the only other time, the only other occasion where this word is used in the New Testament is in Hebrews chapter 12, where we're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're told to consider him who suffered for us so that we won't grow weary, so that we won't grow camno or faint-hearted. And so for me, this was an important breakthrough. This was like the line that connects the dots at what James is getting at in this passage because understanding the meaning of these two words, both of which are just translated sick in English, sheds such important light on this important passage. The sickness referred to in verses 14 and 15, listen, can mean either physical malady or a weak and weary faith or sometimes both. It can refer to the person who is physically ill and desires to be made well 
and it can also refer to the person who is emotionally or spiritually drained, whose faith is just weary and fatigued. Listen, you've been there, haven't you? Have you ever been in this place where you were just so forlorn, so depleted, so fatigued that you just can't pray for yourself? And so whether you are physically sick or emotionally and spiritually drained, you need people to come alongside you to pray on your behalf. Now, in this case, the sick person is encouraged to call the elders or call for the elders of the church because being an elder in the church involves caring for people in a personal way that invites personal prayer and even a personal touch. Elders are entrusted with a sacred trust, a sacred trust, that comes with great opportunity and great responsibility. Elders, elders among us, our elders now, our church elders, you need to feel the weight of this. I need to feel the weight of this. We need to feel the weight of this great call to which we have been called. At the same time, church members, James says, be open to the elders. Open yourselves up to the elders. Invite and welcome the elders' ministry into your life. James is getting at this interpersonal relationship between elders and the congregation they serve. And I just want to say, as your pastor and one of the elders here at East Parkway, I want you to know how much we genuinely care for you. Now listen, it's imperfect care. I know that. I admit that. We all admit that. We are imperfect people, and we're sorry. I'm so sorry that we've let you down on occasion, or that you've, we've not met expectations, whether right or wrong expectations. Who knows? But, but we are, we care. We care. We want what's best for you in every given situation. In every given situation, we want what's best for you. We're on your side. We're in your corner. And one day we will stand before God and we will give an account for your soul. According to the scripture. And in that accounting... However it looks, I want us to stand shoulder to shoulder before the Lord with joy as we recount together 
the many graces we experienced along the way in Christ Jesus. On that day, however it looks, I want us to stand before the Lord with great joy and mutual affection. Don't you? That's why, that's one reason, just one reason, important reason. Why Dennis asked for prayer and anointing this morning, not privately, but publicly in your presence. Because he wants you, he wants his church family to be part of this and to know that this type of care is available to you too. As an elder in this church, he wants you to know that you are important that you are cared for, that the elders care, and that God cares and has provided this as a means of grace for you. And so to the sick, James calls the elders of the church. He says to call the elders of the church and let them pray over him and anoint him with oil. And the oil is... Is, is a picture of comfort and relief. It was sometimes used in those days for medicinal purposes. And so we see an example of that in the parable of the Good Samaritan, for example. But more times than not, it was symbolic of God's presence upon a person's life. Specifically, the presence of the Holy Spirit. And so we anoint with oil in the name of the Lord and we pray. And we pray with faith, believing that God will bring relief and comfort. God will save in this way. And maybe it's physical salvation, like healing of the body. Maybe it's emotional salvation, where you, whereby you are rescued from grief and despair and discouragement, even in your sickness. Maybe it's salvation in the spiritual sense. And so if sin has caused your sickness, there's forgiveness from God to be had. Not that all sickness results directly from a specific sin. That's not what it's saying. But, but if, if that's the case, if your sins have caused your sickness and you turn from them by seeking the presence of God in your life, you can be healed from your sins as well as your sickness. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So James moves from, from church elders to all church members. Confess your sins. Now, I do, I do think just a, a, a quick but important clarification James is not telling us to tell all your sins to every member of the church. 
We know this. We know that trust and the appropriate keeping of confidence is very important. And sadly, we also know, we know of some people, I'm not speaking about anyone in this church, I'm just, it's a general comment, that some people, it's just too hard for them to keep confidence. They're just too loose-lipped. They're just too free with their words. They're always getting too close and even over the line of what should and should not be shared. And so we have to use caution and even common sense when exercising this verse, because hear this, the breaking of trust, the breaking of trust does not bring healing to the church. It instead destroys and diseases the church. But trust is built and strengthened in an environment that fosters honesty and openness. So we are to practice authenticity, uh, transparency, vulnerability toward each other, which is so good for your relationship with God and with others. Be discerning, yes. Be selective, yes. But hear this. Be open. Be open. Be open even with your sins. Find a close group of people in the church who care for you, with whom you can be totally honest with your struggles because confession cultivates humility before God and one another and godly interdependence among believers who can come alongside you and pray for you in your time of need. This is such good medicine for the soul. But I know, I know, I know, we don't like taking medicine. My wife can tell you I hate taking medicine. Stubborn. Independent. Don't like going to the doctor. We can tough it out. We can tough it out on our own. But we can't. We can't. Not in this way. So imagine with me, just imagine the result if we all put just this one verse into practice. Imagine the immense healing we'd experience individually and collectively, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But 
but it means inviting others in. That's what James is saying. Invite others in and let them pray for you. Pray together. Pray always, pray together. Third, pray fervently. It says the power of a righteous person has great, or the prayer, I'm sorry, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Now this power, hear this, is not found in the person who prays. This power is not even found in prayer itself. We sometimes talk about the power of prayer, and I know what we mean most of the time, but I think sometimes we stretch that a little too far. The power is not in prayer itself. The power is in the God to whom we pray. So this is a call to faith. This is a call to believe in God in prayer. This is a call to believing prayer. And the righteous person here is the person who simply walks with God. Not the religious elite, not the self-righteous, but those who have been made righteous in Christ and who therefore desire to live rightly because of Christ. You see, the point is that you cannot embrace and entertain sin in your heart and expect God to hear your prayers. You cannot play God for a fool. You cannot ignore God 99.9% of the time only to pay Him some passing attention when you want or need something. It doesn't work like that. Prayer doesn't work like that. Relationship with God doesn't work like that. And so James is saying, turn from your sin, which is why confession and forgiveness is such an important part of this passage. You see, if the gunk of sin is clogging your life, get it out. Unclog the pipes, so to speak. And be cleansed so that there's no obstruction in your communion with the Lord. Now listen, this isn't positional righteousness because believers in Christ are already positionally righteous before God. What we're talking about here is practical righteousness. Righteousness just in the everyday, day-to-day. Because how can we pray fervently if we aren't walking with God? Those two things just don't match up. If we're not listening for God, if we're not discerning the will of God, truly fervent prayer doesn't happen apart from this. And so James offers up Elijah as an example. He says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. He's referring back to a passage we can read or an, an, an event that we can read about in 1 Kings uh, chapters 17 and 18. He wants to show how Elijah prayed fervently 
be a good time for you, maybe even this week, to go look at 1 Kings 17 and 18. Because he wants to show how Elijah prayed fervently, how his prayers were answered, and then how he's just like us. Elijah prayed fervently. Now, fervent prayer. You see, there's prayer. And there's fervent prayer. What's the difference? Fervent prayer requires personal investment. Like, I have to invest myself in a prayer like that. I can't be rote. I can't be praying, mouthing the words, but my heart, my mind is just detached, distant. It requires steadfastness in prayer. Again, we read about this when we read the account of Elijah. It's not just a one-time offering and that's that. No, it's persistent prayer. But fervent prayer is not about mindless chatter. It's not about strummed up emotion. It's not about vain repetition. It's not about unnecessary wordiness. It's not about pious theatrics. No, this kind of praying, this kind of fervency mentioned in James 5 is all about faith. You cannot pray fervently, not really, without faith. Prayer like this requires faith in in God and in the power of God to answer. Elijah's prayers were answered mightily. You see, this was a monumental event in his life. Many of you know it. It was a true watershed moment. Hunted and harried by King Ahab and his wicked wife Jezebel, Elijah wanted to underscore God's power to save and God's sovereign rule over all things. So he prayed for no rain and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now you think we're in a drought? Not a single drop for three and a half years. And then after this epic showdown with the prophets of Baal, he prayed for rain and the heavens poured. So we have to ask ourselves, why does James introduce Elijah at this point in the context of this particular passage? And I think it's because the heavens giving rain and the earth bearing fruit illustrates the goodness of God in response to prayer. The rains from heaven after three and a half years of drought illustrates refreshment from God, gracious renewal and rejuvenation from God. It pictures healing and fruitfulness. Why? 
so that when we encounter the dry seasons of sickness and suffering, we can pray believing that relief comes from our great God who draws near to us in love with absolute power to do that which He deems best. You see, with God, there is power to heal. There is power to revive. There is power to comfort. There is power to bring forth good fruit from even the worst of circumstances. Hallelujah to that. Elijah wants to show that Elijah prayed and his prayers were answered. And listen, Elijah, he says, is just like us. Just a man with a, with a nature like ours. Yes, he was a prophet called by God. And yes, some of his story reads like a great action movie. But when you follow the life of Elijah, you realize that he didn't have it all together all the time. He experienced mood swings, depression, weak faith at times, at times even withdrawing from God. Can you relate with that? Even after his great victory on Mount Carmel, right after that he battled doubt and despair and discouragement and just wanted to die. And so the takeaway here is that our weakness, whether physical or spiritual or both, our weakness is not a hindrance to Almighty God. You have as much access to God in prayer as Elijah did. And God in His might draws as near to you when you pray as He did with Elijah. And so let Elijah's example in prayer and his answered prayers encourage your own. That's what James is getting at. All right, we need to land this plane. I'm tempted to skip over this section. I'm not going to. Because I just feel compelled to comment briefly, even pastorally, on unanswered prayer. I know, I know, some of you have prayed and prayed and prayed and are still praying today 
for certain things and it seems like nothing's changing. Which can be so disheartening, even crushing, and can begin to make us calloused toward prayer, begin to squelch our desire for prayer, and more than that, calloused and squelched toward God. And so I just want to encourage you to know that sometimes, sometimes it takes prayer after prayer after prayer after prayer and year after year after year after year to realize that God has been shaping our prayers to conform with His will. And that shaping process takes time sometimes. Time and, and, and so I just I want to encourage you to know that the Apostle Paul was not immune to answered prayer. Time and again he asked God to remove what he called a thorn in the flesh. And most believe this to be a physical ailment of some sort until he realized, listen, that it was better to experience the sufficiency of God's grace in weakness than to not experience grace at all. And I want to encourage you to know that even Jesus struggled at times in prayer. And we remember that great scene in Gethsemane when he asked God for any possible way to avoid the cross, his sweat becoming like blood in the deep anguish of those moments, for he knew that God's good and perfect will came, came, came by way of the cross, not by avoiding it, not by going around it, but through it. And so... What may seem like a no from God is probably better understood as a not yet or, or maybe a not in this way I have something better in mind that you don't know about yet. Because listen, isn't it true that if prayer is just about me, and my temporal wants in the moment, then I'll forever be wanting because I was made for so much more than just my little minuscule myopic view of life. It's when prayer becomes about God and His will that I'll be most satisfied because that which glorifies God's, God best is also what blesses me most. And so if a no right now, if a no to me now means an even better yes later, I'll take what's best. Because God always, always, always does what's best. Now in the meantime, As we, as we just prepare to gather around Dennis and Cheryl in the meantime. Let's be like those great multitudes who brought their sick to Jesus and marveled at His power to heal. 
Let's be like blind Bartimaeus, who when hearing that Jesus was nearby, cried out without hesitation, Lord, have mercy on me, and he was made to see. Let's be like Martha and Mary, who experienced the glory of God in in new ways, amazing ways, when Jesus came and raised their brother from the dead. Let's be like that poor woman who suffered hemorrhage for 12 years, but still pressed through the crowds, elbowed her way through the crowds, crawled on her knees through the crowds just to grab the hem of Christ's robe. Let's be like those friends who brought their friend to Jesus. Remember, carried him on a mat. And when they realized the door was blocked, did they give up? No. Up to the roof they went and down through the roof they came just to make their desires known to God. Let's pray like that. With fervent faith like that. People, if God is for us, who can be against us? Pray always. Pray together. And pray fervently. Because prayer is a means of grace from God by which God draws near to us and we draw near to one another for the sharing of life together in Christ Jesus. I want to ask everyone to stand. I know we've been sitting for some time. I appreciate your patience. And by all means, if, if, uh, if standing right now is, is too difficult for you, please sit. Absolutely. I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what's going on in your life today. With some of you, in some cases, I know some of your story. But, but it's just a microscopic view. But I want you to know that God knows it all. From beginning to the very end, and every little detail in between. And God knows you, all of you, all of you. He knows your every hurt. He knows your every joy. He knows you thoroughly inside and out. And so if you're here today and you're suffering in some way, I just want to encourage you to know that God knows and he sees 
And he invites you to himself in prayer. And if you're here today and you're cheerful, praise God for that. Praise God for those wonderful seasons in our life and for those mercies and graces given to us each day that we can be of good cheer. And he invites you to himself. And if you're here today and you're sick in some way, maybe physically sick, maybe emotionally sick, maybe discouraged or depressed or drained in some way, maybe spiritually sick, maybe, this, maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life, or maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're hearing from God's word, and you're realizing, I've never, I've never come to believe God like this. I've never turned from my self-sufficiency to rely solely upon Jesus Christ. God knows that too. And he's inviting you to come and to be healed. So I just want to pray over you as you stand. Father, I thank you for every person. Every person here. I thank you for every life here. I thank you for every story represented here. I thank you for every circumstance and situation in life that's displayed here. And I thank you that you know each one, each person, each circumstance, each detail. And I pray that you would bring healing and, and, and comfort and relief and rejuvenation and faith and confidence in you. Help each person here again to see the glory of the risen Lord and to find and live life in his name. I pray that you would just do a great and mighty work. You have done great and mighty things. You are doing great and mighty things. And even today, Lord, will you do a great work in each life with each person this morning. For your name's sake, amen.